Boom, we're live. Okay, and here we are. We are at the Mayo Hotel with the one and only John Prowsar. Yeah. Yes, yes. We need a whole cheering section. I've been wanting this to happen since season one, man. Like, I have been waiting for this. For those who don't know, I forgot your character's name, though. You're the father, Leon. Yes. You're Willie Jack's dad and Reservation Dogs. So, hi. Welcome to Toke Signals. Yeah. Let's see. How do we want to start this off? Start. I got one random question. Okay, I remember watching this show like when I was a kid. It was a young, was it Young Riders? Yeah. That's uh, when I saw your IMDb. I saw Young Riders. Like, no way. Like that was on for just like a blip. But it was like a. It would caught on to like the Young Guns craze. Okay. Yeah. I was actually shooting Young Guns too at the time. I was uh, see. Okay, okay. So you were. Uh, yeah, I was a stand-in photo double for Lou Diamond Phillips. So whenever you see nice. my horse or getting hurt, that was me. That was you doing it. Yeah. Ew. Then my agent calls me and says, "Hey, they want you for this TV series called Young Riders." So I had to talk to the producers of Young Guns, and they were having a legal dispute with <laughs> Young Riders, actually. So I said, listen, they want me on the show, and it'd be really good for my career. <laughs> and they were cool enough. They let me have the day off, uh, you know, to go to go shoot Young Writers. So I literally had to drive to the Young Writers set, which wasn't very far away. And the funny thing was, when the Young Writers cast her, I was in Guns too. They were on me like I was the celebrity. Yeah. And I was enamored with them. You know, yeah. Josh Brolin, and I think one of the Baldwins is on there. Oh wow. Yeah, they were just like, you know, dude, could, could, could we come uh, visit you on the set? And I was like, dude, you're the young writer. You can yeah. go on. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hadn't really done anything huge at that time, but it was funny to see them all enamored with the fact that I was working Guns 2. And then when I went back to Guns 2, of course, everybody was giving me crap, saying, oh, you're working with the enemy, huh? <laughs> ah, <dang. laughs> yeah. So wait, is Young Guns 2 is the one that went down that hill on the... Yeah. So you, that's 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 you. Yeah. Well, the, the fall was a stunt guy. I did the initial because they shot it. It really wasn't that steep. Yeah. <laughs> the way they shot it made it look it real, real steep. Hollywood magic. You yeah, got yeah, the magic yeah. in there. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, I just had to ask that question. I, just, yeah. I was dying. I was well, like, wait I, a minute, young writers. Yeah. No way. You're right, isn't I was because I was wondering because I, I was I was also digging into your background. I was looking. I was looking. I saw Young Guns too, but I had. To, and then I got the call that I was leaving. And I was like, oh well, I'll look. I'll research this on the way. And then I didn't get a chance to. So, but uh, man, thank you for coming on, dude. This was so cool of you to reach out and. Uh, so how did you get on to one yeah. of the? Bi- I mean, Actually, wait, wait, hold on. Before we get to there, where are you from? What's what's your <laughs> You know, uh, your upbringing or, you know, stomp, where, where's, well, where, where's your stomping ground? I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Uh, I'm Yaki, Jewish, and Mexican. I know nice. it's a weird mix. Yep. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, my Yaki, the Yaki blood was hit in our family for a long time. Yeah. And when I came out, you know, everybody was like, <laughs> might be Indian, or the mailman <laughs> might be Indian. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my grandmother told me, because I actually was raised by my grandmother, and she was the one that said, you know, we're Indian, and my parents were the ones who hit it. 
because in the 50s it was not a good right. thing to be Native American in Tucson. Yeah. They treated us from the 20s to the 50s, they treated us very poorly. Right. So whenever I brought it up to my parents, they didn't really want to talk about it. And I was like, I didn't understand. You know, I was like, well, hey, what is the big deal? Uh, so finally, and I had siblings who denied that we were Indian. And we would always fight about it. So it was this bone of contention between us. And then yeah. when my mom was passing away in 2011, on her deathbed, she finally admitted it. And my oh, brothers wow. and sisters, their jaws were like, oh, my God. And I was like, told you all. Yeah, I told you all. And then uh, my daughter got a 23andMe thing. And it even, you know, uh, told us there that yeah. where we're from. You know, we're originally, because my family's originally, originally from Sonora, Mexico, on my mom's side, and Hermosillo on my father's side. So those were the largest populations of Yaqui there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I've always been proud of that. I'm, I'm pr also proud that I'm Jewish, and I'm proud of my Latino heritage as well. Yeah. Uh, but in this business, it was a hard climb because people were like, oh, don't say you're Jewish or Mexican, just say you're Indian. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm going to say I'm Jewish. Yeah, Mexican. yeah. I'm not trying to perpetrate anything. Um, but yeah, that was my history, and I worked for uh, all the tribes in Tucson, the uh, Tano Autumn Nation and the Pascuayaki Pueblo. Uh, I worked with survivors of child molestation and violent youth offenders for over 34 years. Nice. And did programs and stuff like that on the reservations. Um, and, you know, I'd always wanted to get into acting. That was my dream. And right. So I started sneaking on the movie sets because there was tons of movies being shot in Tucson in the 80s. And then uh, I just watched and I saw these guys with walkie-talkies and I'm like, okay, those guys, you know, they seem to know something. So I found the truck that had all the walkie-talkies. So I just grabbed a walkie and put it on my side and started walking around and <laughs> people, moving stuff. Yeah, yeah. People were like, you know, eventually somebody was like, what department are you with? And I was like... Uh, <laughs> and they're like I'm new I forgot yeah they're like did you steal that walkie and I'm like yeah and they're like do you want a job and I'm like yeah <laughs> so I started working on movies behind the scenes you know because I was a hard worker yeah but it also got me close to the actors and the directors and I got to talk to them and say hey what do I because I didn't know I didn't know the process I thought you just showed up at some magical place and they're like you're a movie star yeah 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 and they started to explain the process about taking acting classes and headshots and agents and, you know, there really wasn't anything like that in Tucson, real, really, yeah. you know, so I knew at some point I was going to have to go to L.A. And then my big break was on Guns 2 and I found out this dude who knew the family who owned all the porta-potties in Tucson, <laughs> he called me up and he's like, dude, I just found out some company ordered a bunch of porta-potties, a company called Morgan Creek. Oh, they're going to be set up at this hotel. Their production offices are set up at this hotel. So I went to the hotel and, you know, started talking to the, you know, service people because they yeah. know everything. Yeah. And the maids are like, you know, yeah, they're going to be here. And I was like, could you get me a list of the people who are going to be here? And I saw one of the guys, Rick Montgomery, casting director. <laughs> so I would hang out at his room. I slept outside his room for three nights. I bribed the hotel security with donuts and coffee. And, uh, one of the maids, I had to take her daughter out on a date. 
<laughs> back when I was young and handsome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I'll take your daughter yeah, out. Yeah, she was trying to hook me up. <laughs> uh, so I fell asleep one night, literally outside this guy's door, and I get woken up, and it's Rick Montgomery and Christian Slater. And I guess Christian drove in with him, and they probably thought I was just some drunk Indian or something. I fell asleep at the door, and he's like, yeah, I just need to get in my room. <laughs> And I was like, you know, trying to wake myself up. I'm like, hi, my name's John Proud, so I want to work on Young Guns too. And he was just like, you know, he was just trying to blow me off. And yeah. he was just like, listen, man. I go, you're going to give me a job or you're going to have to call the cops, brother. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, oh, my God. And he was like, are you serious? You're willing to get arrested? I go, yeah. I go, yeah. 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 I want a job. Yeah. He's like, I can't pay you. I don't have it in my budget. And I'm like, can you pay me with food? And can you feed me? Yeah. And he's like, fine, just show up here tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. <laughs> and yeah, I'll, I'll give you food. <laughs> so I fucking show up. Can I oh, yeah, 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 you go. Let, 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 let it fly. Let, let it fly. All right, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I showed up at this guy's place at 8 o'clock. Uh, I worked for him for about three weeks, just getting paid in food. And then uh, when Lou Diamond showed up, he saw my hair. And he really liked it because his was only up to here. Right. It was like to my waist. So he comes up to me and goes, hey, would you mind if I had somebody come and copy your hair onto mine? And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. So we're sitting at the pool, this hairdo chewing the hair. Yeah. <laughs> and then the director and one of the producers came out. And when he saw us, he was like, oh, my God, you guys could be brothers. And he's like, how would you like to be his uh, stunt double? riding double and, you know and I'm like yeah and he goes you know how to ride a horse and I'm like I was born on a horse never rode a horse <laughs> yeah yep. Yep. ever closest I got was like a swap me yeah I was like oh my god I just agreed to do this movie where you have to be like an expert writer yeah so the next day I go to this place called Old Tucson Studios and they're having the writing tests they're testing everybody and guys are getting thrown off and injured and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? So I just start watching the more experienced cowboys to see what they're doing and how they're holding their feet and the reins and everything. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm an actor. I can do this. Just act. Act. Yeah. So I get on the horse, I do the ride, you know, because they say, okay, start with trot, you know, then run them in and slow them down and stop in front of the casting director. And I did it. And they were like, oh, that was great, you know, yeah. And the main uh, wrangler, Jack Lilly, he comes up to me and goes, you ain't never rid a horse in your life. <laughs> I go, is it that bad? He goes, nah. He goes, you fooled them. He goes, you didn't fool him, though. Yeah, he goes, I'll tell you what, if you show up here every morning at 5 in the morning, help us unload the horses, I'll teach you how to ride. So I did, and the first day I show up in sneakers, and all his the cowboys are laughing at me and stuff like that, because they're like, what the hell are you going to do with sneakers on? He's like, boots, boy. So I'm like learning all this as I'm going along, and finally uh, Jack's sons kept calling me Marion. And I was like, and one day I just told Jack, I'm like, Jack, your boys are pissing me off, man. He's like, what are they doing? I go, they're calling me Marion. He's like, you know why they're calling you that? And I'm like, no. And he goes, because of the Duke. He goes, I taught the Duke how to ride. He goes, and you, you took to it just like the Duke, so they're calling you Marion. That's his real name, Marion Morrison. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that, you know? Yeah. And I said, okay, well, they can call me that. 
That's cool. I guess that's all right now. Yeah, yeah that's all right. <laughs> that racist dude, John Wayne. <laughs> or they could have called you Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, that would be even worse. But um, yeah, so I got my my big break, and I was uh, working alongside you know Emilio Estevez and Kiefer Sutherland, and of course Lou and Bill Peterson. I met John Fusco, who wrote the who wrote the screenplay. And John was really instrumental in helping me out, allowing me to go to behind-the-scenes meetings yeah. and to watch the dailies, because they would send the film out, and then the next day would come back developed, and they would get to watch it. And only the producers and bigwigs were allowed in those meetings. But Fusco allowed me to be, like, in the back of the room watching. Oh, that's cool. Because I had told him I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to become a filmmaker yeah. and stuff. And I was getting, I was young, dude. I was 23, getting into all kinds of trouble on the set, man. Like, it, just a litany of stupid trouble that you do when you're young. Yeah. You know? yeah. Not thinking. And Fusco was trying to watch over my shoulder and stuff. And I was like, I look back and I'm like, how did I not get fired on that film? Like, I stole a car and uh, the cops came looking for me. And I got into a fight with Kiefer Sutherland. No shit. Yeah. Nice. I got in trouble for bringing this. Right, she was a stripper. <laughs> uh, I brought her onto the set. And, yeah, this I, is so much better than I was hoping. Dude. <laughs> Keep going. And then when we hit New Mexico, I had this biker gang looking for me and a buddy of mine. Damn. We made these counterfeit Young Guns 2 t-shirts and we were selling them. Nice. So this biker dude comes up to me and gives me all this money and goes, we want shirts. And not we didn't mean to take the money but we just never followed through with making the shirts. So, <laughs> so yeah so they're coming looking for us and stuff and it's getting bad dude it's getting bad the, yeah. the stuff that we're doing on set uh so finally when we hit new mexico uh like three in the morning i get this knock on the door oh i know what set it off i remember she's gonna kill me for this <laughs> But there was this actress, and I fell in love with her, man. And Emilio Estevez had just broken up with Demi Moore, so his heart was broken. He was just hurting. So they cast this really beautiful girl that I think he found for the film. Yeah. She was Miss Body Beautiful for New Mexico and Miss Bud Light. So gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she came (laughs) in, and she was all dressed in tight clothes and stuff. And I really didn't pay attention to her. But when they put her in her old-fashioned, old-timey outfit, something genetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She. So long story short, we got together. Nice. One morning, she was taking a shower, and somebody knocked on the door, and I opened it, and it's the first AD. And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." He goes, "I thought this was so and so's room." And I go, "Yeah, it's her room." And he's like, "Oh." Oh, oh! He's like, "Oh, could you just give her her call sheet?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah," not thinking anything. And uh, we even took separate vans to the set, so nobody knew we were together. Yeah, yeah. When I get there, Lou Diamond, all of them, they applaud me. They're applauding. I'm like, what? What? Like, we found out. Yeah. Like, the first AD announced it over the intercom, over the you know. Oh my god! That I was in her room. And he goes, dude, Diamond's like, dude, that was, like, media was looking into her. And I was like, huh? Oh, no. Because he wants to talk to you. And I was oh, like, no. <laughs> so I go in this little hut. He was sleeping in there. We were doing night shoots. 
And I was like, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, Emilio. He's like, is it true, dude? And I go, yeah. And he was like, just real quiet. I go, you gonna fire me? And he's like, nah. <laughs> and we ended up talking and he told me the whole story about him and Demi Moore and Bruce Willis and everything. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I'm so sorry, dude. I didn't know. And he was like, did you have fun? I go, oh, she would have changed her life. <laughs> She was, she was just so beautiful. She was such a beautiful young yeah. Wait, so was this after Paula Abdul with uh, Emilio Estevez? Too? I think it was prior. Oh, okay. Paula so he, Abdul, yeah. I mean, he, he bounced back. Yeah. 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 I, was, I was before Young Guns, too. I was working at a car wash. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, you know, had way more opportunity than yeah. I did. But I was just young. Really good looking and handsome, you know, and a young gun. You were a young you were gun. definitely a young yeah. gun. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just enjoying life, being young and dumb. And yeah. Uh, so when we finally got to Santa Fe, I get a knock at three in the morning in my hotel room, and it's the first AD again. He goes, "The director wants to see you now." Oh no! So there's a van, and it takes me to this warehouse, and. There's two director's chairs set up, a light, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'm like, they found out about something. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and he comes in, it was Simon Windsor, and he's, you know, he's English, he's British, and he's like, what, what the hell are you doing on my film? And I was like, I want to make movies, you know? And he goes, do you know who Billy Crystal is? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he's making a film down the way. And he called me. And asked me if I had in my employ a Native American stand-in who had stolen a car. And he just goes down this list of all the stuff I had done. And I was like, what? That it had leaked over to the uh, City Slicker set. Oh, God. And Billy Crystal wanted to know if it was true. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I was like, wow. And he was like, why are you here? So I just, I told him, I said, Look, I want to make movies, man. And I, you guys treat me like I'm some kind of Neanderthal. And you're surprised when I can write my name correctly. And I said, listen, I grew up watching the Marx Brothers, Carol Burnett, Peter Sellers. And I just went, I hit him with this impassioned speech. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you got it bad. And I go, yeah, this is and everything I've ever wanted to do. And you guys won't allow me to do it. I said, you know, you even have a non-Native American playing a Native American, and I'm his stand-in. I'm this close to fame. It's like, yeah. you know, and I, you know, and no one's ever going to know. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, if you stay out of trouble for the next two weeks, I'll let you direct a scene in this movie. He goes, but I don't want to hear your name. So for the next two weeks, I just, I, I literally sat ten feet away from him. And just did nothing <laughs> yeah. other than my job. Yeah. So finally the day came and uh, he came up to me and he's like, all right. He goes, it's the day. I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. So he hands me his you know, little viewfinder thing and everything. And he walks off the set. And the first AD, who he was mad at me because I had charged $174 worth of dinners to his room. So he was totally pissed off at me. He did not like me. <laughs> And he's just looking at me and he goes, all right, what do you want to do? I was like, can I see the breakdown to the last scene? And he starts talking and I go, who was in the scene? He goes, Emilio. And I go, where is he? He's like, oh, he's in his trailer. And I go, can we get him here? So my buddy, my other standing buddy was just loving this. And he runs with the first AD to Emilio's trailer. 
to see Emilio's reaction. And they're like, they open the door, and he's like, John Proudstar wants you on the set. And Emilio's like, the stand-in? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's directing today. And Emilio's like, all right, I got to see what this is all about. <laughs> so I, he goes on the set, and I'm sitting in the chair, and he's like, looking at the first AD. He goes, is this real? He goes, yeah. He comes over and he goes, dude, only you, only you. He goes, all right, what are we doing? So it was the scene in the in the cantina where he flips over the table. Okay. And um, I got to, you know, say action and cut. And uh, then Simon came back. I gave him everything back. And he goes, you have a future in this business. Just stay out of trouble. Stop, stop stealing cars. Yeah, stop stealing cars <laughs> and, you know, getting in fights with the actors. And, don't yeah, fight yeah. Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, don't fight Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> and, uh, now, wait a minute. I just want to know. Did he like try to fit like fist fight you? Well, or you just get here's the thing. We were all hanging out at this bar, and I don't drink. I've never yeah. drank alcohol in my life, so I'm like sober as a church mouse. Everyone else is getting blasted. Kiefer's getting blasted. Uh, Julia Roberts was there to visit him. Yeah, and she was getting hey, a little. That's awesome. I know. That's it's so ridiculous. Cool, no, this is great. This and is great. She was there at the table, and we we're all cracking jokes, and she has this donkey-like laugh. And, you know, I, I imitated it, and everyone started laughing because it was spot on. And she didn't like that. Oh, shit. So she goes over to Kiefer, and, you know, we're all just talking. Suddenly, I feel this hand hit my shoulder, like, you know, hard, like yeah. it hits it hard. And even before he can finish his sentence, man, you know, I'm 23, full of piss and vinegar, man. Yeah. I just look at him, I grab him and throw him over the table throw the table over and everyone's like oh my god and I'm lunging at this guy and Bill Peterson and Lou and immediately they all grab me all three of them and I'm just yelling and screaming you know like I'm gonna kill you I'll throw you out in the desert <laughs> and uh, they pull me outside and calm me down and they're like listen listen and like don't don't fight him you know he's wealthy he's got an attorney do you have an attorney and I'm like no no but they're like just just stay away from him you know everyone's been drinking maybe he'll forget about it <laughs> and the next day we're sitting with the producers <laughs> and i tell him the story and i said hey you're in tucson you don't touch another man you don't touch him you don't put hands on another man and uh so fusco you know defended me and long story short i wasn't allowed around Kiefer after that um, and then Kiefer told everyone he was packing heat. And was oh like, my God! Okay. Um, Let's Jack Bauer. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, all right, Jack. Bauer. <laughs> it's, it's forty-eight um, hours now. Okay, calm down. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't know how to behave around stars. You know, yeah. I was raised. You know, like you know, everyone's equal. And, yeah. And you know, uh, so I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, I was. It was cool, and I was starstruck with a couple of them. But at the end of the day, they're just dudes like you. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And uh, well, that's how we are right now with you. Yeah, I mean, to be, yeah. but now that we're just sitting here, it's just like a normal call. Like there is no yeah. reservation dogs or movies or anything else. It's no, just us I mean, having yeah, a conversation. It's just dudes, you know. Yeah. And that's the way it was. And yeah. Back then, there was a very definite above the line, below the line. Right. And I didn't know about it. Right. So I was jumping over it all the time. People <laughs> were like, "You're gonna get fired." This, you know. And I didn't care. I was like, well, if they fire me, they fire me, you know, but uh, I was just there to learn. And I was young and I didn't have the uh, set etiquette down. But I had to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Um, 
you know, a couple of films down the line. I did Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man and with the same casting director, and he ended up getting me fired. Uh, <laughs> but I, I got fired on Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man four times. Damn. And I kept coming back, so they started calling me the stand-in who could not be fired. Because <laughs> uh, one of the times I got fired, Mickey Rourke stuck up for me. Oh, nice. Right. Mickey Rourke was pissed, dude, because I got fired because something my cousin did. And just because I was related to him, they fired me. And I was like, what? And Damn. Fire him and anybody yeah. that looks like him. Anyone looks yeah. like him. Yeah. 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 Get out of here. Dude, yeah, scorched earth, man. <laughs> so Mickey calls me back. And I go to the first AD's office, who a new AD who did not like me. Oh, no. <laughs> And he goes, all right, well, how do you want to do this? And I'm like, do what? He goes, what, do you want? just want to come pick up your checks or what? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you have carte blanche. Mickey hired you back, so you don't have to work. And I was like, no. I go, I, I just wanted my job back. Yeah. I go, please give me my job back. You're my boss. You can yell at me. You can fire me if I do something bad. I just want, I don't want to just collect a paycheck. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, I really admire you for that. <laughs> and I just, that's when I started to realize that Hollywood was just a different place. And they had different rules. And it wasn't as simple as I thought it was going to be. It was right. going to be more complex. Because they were weird. The Hollywood people were just strange people to me. Yeah. And I yeah. couldn't imagine just rolling up to work saying, where's my check? And then leaving. I was like, I'm a working man. My family, we're all workers. Yeah. You know, we're hard workers. Uh, but eventually, um, uh, uh, Rick and I kind of just disagreed on a lot of things, so I had to bow out so my other, this other stand-ins wouldn't get fired, who are my friends. Um, and yeah, that's the end of that story. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of working, I we checked out IMDb, and you are a working actor. Yeah, oh, it yeah. is. It, you have out. many. <laughs> oh yeah. You have lots of credits to your to your portfolio, to your resume. It's yeah. a it's quite a list. No, it's been it's been a crazy career because it's tough getting parts as a native actor. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've done has been you know low budget. Uh, it's gone to Sundance and things like that. And I've always been on the periphery of, of fame or around movie stars and stuff like that. I did Tombstone. Oh, um, nice. I, was, I became friends with Val Kilner on Gore Vidal's Billy the Kid. And nobody kind of knew who he was at that time, but I did. I was yeah. like, it's Matt Mardigan. <laughs> and <laughs> I, my cousin and I got hired as extras, and they put us in as Mexican villagers. So they had us in these Mexican villagers outfits with the big... You know, hats and, and the, sombreros on, yeah. Yeah, and the serapes and everything. And we just felt kind of, you know, in the high pants uh -huh. and, and the huarachis. And like, I felt kind of like, you know, what's that little mouse? The Speedy Gonzales. Speedy Gonzales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, we didn't know who was going to be on the film. And uh, I asked the makeup lady, like, who's the star of the film? And she goes, some guy named Val Kilner. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, I was like, I. I gotta meet this guy, man. You know, he's such a great actor. And uh, there's a, one of the PAs walking by, and I hear on the walkie, they're like, Where are the Ohako brothers? The Ohako brothers aren't here. They're playing the gunfighters. We need them here. And I was like, Oh, man. So I grabbed my cousin. I'm like, Dude, we're gonna go to 
back into the dressing room, put our civilian clothes back on. He's like, what's going on? I go, just shut up and do what I do. <laughs> so we put our clothes back on, run into the makeup truck. I'm like, hi, we're the Ohako brothers. I'm sorry we're late. So they do our makeup and they give us wardrobe. We get dressed as these gunfighters, get on set. And the first AD looks at us and goes, you're not the Ohako brothers. <laughs> I go, yeah, we're the proud stars and we're here. <laughs> and then yeah. that's, at that moment, Kilner and the director walk on the set and they're like, we're the Ohako brothers. And he's like, they're no show right now, but I got these guys. He's like, all right, sign them up. And we went from extras to featured extra. And then I got to talk to Val and everybody was asking for his autograph. And when it was my turn, I said, I just put some rocks in his hand. He's like, what do you want me to do with these? I go, I want you to juggle them. And he goes, how do you know I can juggle? I go, I know everything about you. <laughs> so he juggles and you know, he was like, seriously, how do you know? I go, I, and so I just read off his resume and everything he had done up until that point. And we just became fast friends after that. That's awesome. And then when Tombstone came around, he called me in for Tombstone. And I interviewed with the first director, and he didn't want me in the film. So that director eventually got fired. So they called me back. I interviewed the second director. He didn't want me in the film. <laughs> and then that director eventually got fired. Dang! And then I think it was on the third director, which was... I forgot his name. He directed uh, one of the Rambo films. Crazy oh. Greek guy or Italian guy. He was like, yeah, oh yeah, he's part of <laughs> So he hires me and my cousin, actually, and we end up doing these really cool scenes with Kurt Russell. It's the scene in the wash after he kills uh, uh, Powers Booth. And he looks up in this mountain and you see two native guys, but they cut the scene out. Oh. And then there's a scene with Dana Delaney and Kurt Russell going on a horseback ride oh yeah and then they stop to have like a you know just to kick back or whatever yeah and then my cousin and i were supposed to be riding nearby because they always wanted to show that you couldn't just go for a ride and it's safe that there's, yeah, there's always imminent danger or threat out there but they cut all the scenes out <sighs> and i had told everyone i'm gonna be in tombstone <laughs> and when the movie came out nope no, no you're not <laughs> yeah it would have kept it wider yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like Tombstone came this. out the same week or something. Like yeah. yeah, but oh, I, I, had, yeah. I had started talking to the director, and we were talking on the set one day, and he said, "Yeah, they want me to direct a movie called Aliens 3 and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "What?" I was like, "Dude, if you direct it, I want in. I want to be in that." He goes, "I don't know if I want to do it." What? I was like, "Why?" And he goes, "Well, everything's done. The the production's done. The the drawings, everything, the casting." Because I would just be going in there to babysit actors, and I was like, "I go, if you do it, try and get me in there, man." And you if know? you can't, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> don't do, yeah. Uh, but he never did. He never ended up directing it. But uh, yeah, is you know, and again, all these close calls to the possibility of success and stuff like that were so close. But I knew I was going to have to move out to Hollywood eventually. Yeah. It was just something I didn't want to do because I had a daughter very young daughter at the time and I didn't want to not be here yeah for her but nothing was happening for me in Tucson there was yeah. nothing in Tucson dude and I did eventually move to Hollywood and that was just a nightmare that was like I mean it was fun right and exciting and adventurous but the whole, I was just missing my daughter and I had gotten into I was a limo driver and I did personal security for people and 
long story short, ended up working for Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, nice. Yeah. And yeah, he was a nightmare. I love the guy. Yeah. But, he, you know, he was older and yeah. he was in poor health. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of give him a pass on that because he was uh, not doing well. But we didn't get along. Yeah. And he would call me the Sphinx or <laughs> Mr. Sunshine because I would never smile and I'd never laugh at his jokes. And he hated that. Yeah. Uh, and then there was one day, because uh, whenever I come in, he's like, oh, it's the Sphinx. <laughs> Mr. Sunshine, oh, don't ever come to my show. It's like, yes. So one day he was having a bad day, and Suzanne Summers wanted him on her show, and he didn't want to do it. And he was saying, I'm just, I'm not famous anymore. I'm not hot anymore. I don't want to do any talk shows. And so I sat down with him and I said, Listen, man, I go, when I was a kid, my brothers took me to a movie that everyone was talking about because we had to see this comedian who stole the show from Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, the hottest comedians of the time. They were the hottest comedians on the planet. And this one guy stole the show from them. And I go, that guy was you, dude. Rodney Dangerfield, that's how I was introduced to you, that you stole this movie from these guys. And I go, you used to kill on Carson, man. I go, your timing is impeccable. You know, and I just kind of lifted his ego. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Rodney, do the show. No one's forgotten you, man. You're, you're still a badass, dude. So he did. He did the show, and his wife Joan was, you know, she thanked me. She was like, thank you for telling him that. And it really lifted his spirits. Because when he was on camera, he was on, man. Yeah. He was Rodney, man. But when the cameras were off, yeah. <laughs> different story. You hear that a lot. Like, like there was a video that just recently surfaced of the, the kid, the guy who, well, he's a guy now. He played um, the kid in um, Robin Williams, no, uh, Miss Doubtfire. Oh yeah, yeah. He played the oldest son or whatever, and in, in that movie, he was talking about uh, in between takes, like when when Robin would go back to his trailer or whatever. He was a you know like a kid basically, but he would run into his trailer to go, hey Robin, listen to this, and like want to talk to him. And he said he would see him just lean, just sitting there with his head in his hands, just yeah. for however long, and he would just be completely in his head, yeah, just, just yeah, on. just turn it all off and. Go great ones. Like Peter Sellers was like that. Yeah, he had no personality. He had no in between characters. He, it's like he was just waiting for the next. For the next, and yeah. I didn't understand because I'm a huge, huge Peter Sellers fan, and I saw it when he there's an appearance he does on the this new Beatles documentary. Okay. And it's at the height of his career, and you can see how uncomfortable he is around people, and he's like devoid of personality yeah he's not the pink panther he's not any of these characters he's played he's just this english dude that's just kind of like quiet yeah looking around like i don't belong here yeah i go home and i'm just like how is that possible how is one of the greatest comedic minds of our time how is he like that uh and he was a horrible father to his daughter unfortunately um yeah, and it just broke my heart to hear everything that Sellers went through. Right. I, you know, my whole life I've been chasing him. Because I, I started off in comedy. Unfortunately, I don't get cast in comedies. I get cast as the heavy all the time, or the rapist, or the assassin, or the <laughs> killer. <laughs> uh, this isn't funny, man. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so when I got the chance to do Reservation Dogs, I was so happy. Because yeah. I originally got... Uh, asked to read for Big, the cop. Oh, yeah. And uh, 
I, I got the audition, and it was at a point where I was so frustrated with film and auditions, and I just didn't care anymore. And I had a friend shoot it, and I said, you know what, instead of just shooting it like a normal audition, let's shoot it cool, like it's the actual show, man. Yeah. So he was like, all right, you know, and I broke all the rules. I, you know, I changed lines, I, oh my God. So I sent it off to my agent, and she's like, are you sure you want to send this in? <laughs> I go, yeah. She's like, John, you changed a lot of lines. You added a lot. I'm like, I don't care. Just send it in. Yeah. I didn't even look at who was attached. I knew nothing. Right. I knew it was called Reservation Dogs, and there was a cop named Big. And that was it. <clears throat> so about a week later, she calls back. She's like, oh, my God, they loved your audition. And they're <coughs> considering you for the role. And I was like, oh, damn. Nice. And I said, I better look who's attached to this. And I see Sterling's name. I'm like, what? I'm like, I know Sterling. Hell yeah. <laughs> I've done like three movies with the guy uh, since he started, and uh, then I saw the name Tycho Waititi, and I'm like, no, it can't be him. And I type his name in Google, and the first thing that shows up is him holding the Academy Award. Yeah. Like, Crazy. I was like, crap, it's Taika Waititi, man. This guy's huge. And the gravity of it immediately comes in. Uh, and then um, what I heard was that Taika really, really, really liked my audition. And Disney was asking to see more. They, I think Disney had a list of people they wanted them to see. So Taika took my audition and said, if they're funnier than this guy, I'll see him. And apparently nobody was. Ah. So uh, I don't know how much of that is true. Maybe Sterling was blowing smoke on <laughs> <laughs> uh, But long story short, I get cast as big, and I'm getting ready to go. Can't believe it. We can't. We're not allowed to say anything. And two days before I'm supposed to fly out, Disney calls and says you need to take a COVID test. So which I do, and and I'm not worried. Cause I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. COVID test comes back positive. No. And I had taken a second one just in case. So I have to call my agent and I tell her. And she's like, let me call the casting director. So we call the casting director. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, he has a second test coming in. And we're like, yeah. They're all worried. So finally they have to call Sterling and Taika. And, you know, Taika, they both went to bat for me. Yeah. Because uh, if I did the 10-day, ten, ten what do they call it when you just... Uh, the quarantine. Yeah, 10-day quarantine, yeah. quarantine. I would only be two days late for filming. And they said, we could, you know, shuffle things around, yada, yada, yada. But Disney was like, no, even if he does a second test and it comes back negative, he's a liability. Because this is back when COVID was fairly new. Right, and everybody was right. terrified of it. Yeah. So they said, recast it. Recast it now. Ah, man. And it was the biggest break of my career. Yeah. It was the biggest break of my freaking career, man. And it got taken away from me. And I was like, it knocked me to my knees, dude. Because I was struggling. You know, I was working a normal Joe job and barely making it. And uh, I was like, what do I do? And I'm in quarantine uh, to add salt to the wound. Yeah. So they recast uh, the role of Zahn, and I've known Zahn since the 90s. And that actually made me feel a little better. That he got it? That he got it, yeah. because if they would have just hired some Joe off the street, I would 
<laughs> uh, but Zahn, Zahn's like one of the hardest working actors I've known. I like, I like and, him. Yeah. You know, he's a great guy, yeah. and it 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 made me feel good because Zahn's resume is twice the size of mine. So if they got somebody of his caliber to, to replace take my you, place, yeah, that's then it says a lot about what I delivered. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, I can take that away. And Zahn called me and he was like, dude, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, 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 man. I go, I'm, I'm honored that it's you, brother. And I said, you know, break a leg, go out there and kick ass. And Sterling said, hey, if we get picked up for series, we'll come back for you. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, yeah. no, nah, he's not coming back. Yeah, you know, when yeah. Hollywood gets involved in money and everything, they're not even going to remember my name. Yeah. And luckily, you know, when it did get picked up, we got the call from Sterling that they want me to audition for a new part of Leon. And I read it, and I'm like, Christ, this is me. This is just me. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, I don't even have to ask. This is John. This ain't Leon, yeah. Yeah. And then on the day we had to audition, or I had to audition, it was like six or seven people. It was a, what are the computer? Oh, Zoom, uh, Zoom calls. calls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And each each producer was like, okay, do the scene again, but make me feel this way. <laughs> and I do the scene again. And then another producer, okay, do the scene again, make me feel this way. And it's like eight or nine times I had to do that thing. And then when it was done, the screen went black. I was like, ah, did I... <laughs> Did I pass? Like, what's up? <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Sterling calls me back. He's like, hey, you did great. You did great. And I go, did, what happened? I go, the screen was just went black. He goes, yeah, that's what they do. They don't want to give you any idea if you got her. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, so for the next, it must have been at least two and a half to three weeks. I'm just doing my job day in, day out. I'm, I put it out of my head. I'm like, after two weeks, I'm like, all right, I didn't get it. That sucks, man. Yeah. And I thought, well, if it does well, maybe they'll look at me for something else later on in the series. And then one night, I'm just driving to work, and my agent calls, and she's like, you got it. You're in. And I was like, I'm at my job in the parking lot, 8 o'clock at night, because I do the late shift. And there's nobody to share. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you can't tell nobody. Uh, you know, <laughs> you think there's going to be, like, a band that shows up, and the mayor, <laughs> the mayor shows up with the key to with the, the city. Yeah, yeah. Nope. It's just like, okay. just hang up and you go to work. Yeah, and you go to work. And yeah. I had to keep this secret. I couldn't tell anyone uh, because, you know, it was Disney and they were very yeah. top secret about everything. So I had to keep my mouth shut about everything. And it sucked because I was like, I want to tell someone. <laughs> Got to talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah. no. We, I, mean, I did tell my daughter. We, uh, the mouse isn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a call. John? How old is she now? My daughter? Yeah. She's 32. Okay, yeah, totally. I hope she's okay, listening. Okay, oh, yeah. I hope she's listening. He's, he's a, yeah. No, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I got custody of my daughter when she was five. I came back from Hollywood after hey, working for Rodney. my son when he was four. Yeah. There you go. And I had made some money through the work I was doing. Like, uh, I had done two movies, nothing big. But I was making tons of money, you know, being a driver and personal security. And, you know, I worked for all these huge names and... Uh, Ended up driving for Heidi Fleiss uh, for a while, and Anna Nicole Smith, and um, just huge names, yeah. just stellar names. And half the time, I didn't even pay attention to them. I was young, you know. Yeah. You're not thinking about, oh, this is great. These incredible people I'm working around. Right. But I had a good stack of money, and I came back to Tucson, and within a year and seven months, it was gone. 
attorney's fees, man, just sucked it all up. Yeah. But I got custody of my daughter, and then when I got custody, I decided to stay in Tucson because we, uh, my daughter had family there and I had family there, and it just made more sense. Yeah. I didn't want to bring her back to L.A., and I knew it was going to kill my acting career, but I, you know, I wanted to be a dad more than I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. And, you know, there were times over the years my daughter had heard stories about the things I had done and actors I'd been around, and she's like, you regret, <laughs> you know, coming back for me? And I'm like, no. I was like, once I knew what was going on in her life, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get a call in 18 years from her, and she's going to be, why weren't you there? Yeah. And what's my excuse going to be? Because I wanted to be in movies. Well, yeah, want to be a movie star. <laughs> and it just wasn't good enough. And I, I said, I have one chance to be a good dad, and Hollywood will always be there. And I, even though I had her and I was raising her, I still got to audition and do little films. I just couldn't be as aggressive as I wanted yeah. to be. Yeah. You know, so I still built somewhat of a career. And then when she graduated from high school, I was able to go full bore finally. Right. You know, not worry, not have to worry about her so much. That's kind of like, I think with us, with this podcast thing, we, uh, if we, we were doing something like this at like, what, 22, 23 yeah, you know, we we used to live together in, in where I'm living now, and and we used to just I used to play guitar, and he we remake songs and just talk. We recorded on a on a little tape player, yeah, and we would just record us talking about crap. If, but if we would have done this then, I don't think we would have appreciated it as much as as the ride that we're on now. Like it's a slow ride right now, Trevor. We've been doing we're going on three years now. Yeah. So and we've made no money. Uh, I mean we've made <laughs> Yeah, we're in the red. Big yeah, we're, we're big time in the red. It's we're not, hobby I've ever had. We're not gonna see black <laughs> for a while. But I'm telling you, like the stuff that we've got to do and the things that we've got to see now, I appreciate oh, yeah. it more now than I would have ever appreciated it when I was younger. No, I did uh, back in 1996. I did a comic book called Tribal Force. I was going to ask you about that. Yes, it's the first all-native superhero comic book in the history of the United States. That's awesome. And unfortunately, the the publisher we were with went out of business as we were doing issue two. So the first book got out there, and we sold like fifteen, sixteen thousand issues, I think. And it was the first. I didn't realize it was the first one. I thought for sure there had been something else out there. Yeah. And then I get a call from a, a university in Boston, and they said we want to put your book in our library because it's the first, first one ever. And I was like, Are you sure? And they're like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're sure. Uh, so then, eventually, uh, the Smithsonian Institute called, and it had been years. I've been trying to get Tribal Force back, and I think it was some in the early 2000s, I think, that the Smithsonian called, maybe later, I don't know, my memory's bad. <laughs> but they called and said, hey, we're inducting Tribal Force into the Smithsonian Institute, uh, Natives awesome. in Pop Culture, because you're the first ever. That's so cool. Man. And that's when it really dawned on me, and I was like, oh my God, you know, like we're, the book is history. And that's what kept haunting me because I knew I had to put it back out there, but I never had the resources to do it because it's expensive. I bet, yeah. And I was always <clears throat> working Joe jobs, you know, yeah. paid minimum wage, you know, if that. And then um, just for years, I had these failed attempts. Like I drew the book once and it yeah. was horrible. I'm not an artist, but I thought um, I'll put it out there. And then I would deal with these publishing companies that promised the sky and never delivered. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, 
and some of them, because the book primarily, or not primarily, but the, one of the main characters is a survivor of child molestation, which is the background in which I worked. And I wanted to do something for that community, for those kids. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, the thing I know best is comic books, yeah. you know? And I said, one of my characters will be a survivor of child molestation, and another character will have fetal alcohol effect. And, you know, it'll reflect what some of these Native youth have to go through. And these publishers, you know, we would sign contracts, and then when it came time to start talking about surviving child molestation, they were like, yeah, can you push that to another, you know, the later issue? And uh, they just started getting weak on me, and I'm like, dude, no. Yeah. And then uh, finally I got a, a business partner rep, um, and it was cool because I could just send him in, you know, send him in to fight the sharks. And, you know, he would always tell him, listen, do not offer money to hold off on writing about these topics because it'll piss them off. And they took that as, let's offer him more money than we we're going to offer him. Oh, and God. I was just like, and one meeting, I'll never forget it, I said, he offered me a ridiculous amount of money to not write about it. And I said, offer me a million dollars. He was like, what? And he goes, offer me a million dollars. And he goes, is that what you want? And I go, no. I go, because even if you offered me a million dollars, I would not stop writing about this. I go, I don't care about money. I don't care about it. If I make money off a child course, that would be awesome. And if I don't, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that if I never make a penny off of it. My goal is to expose, you know, child molestation and everything that's going on on certain reservations, on a lot, all the reservations. Uh, you know, what's happening to our people, that's what I'm trying to do. And you're trying to buy me off of that. And I said, Tribal Force, if you take those elements out of it, it's just like any other comic book. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's nothing special about it if you do that. Uh, so finally, I had kept in touch with one of the guys from the original company that I'd worked with that put the first issue out, Gene Jimenez. And we had kind of like, you know, like every, like a year and a half, two years sometimes, we'd like see each other online. Hey, what's up? Nothing much. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, nothing was ever like clicking. Right. So I had done Reservation Dogs and I got paid really good money and I had to make a decision I'm like, what am I going to do with this money? I've never had money like this. It wasn't a lot, but it was more than I'd ever had. Right. And, you know, the whole thing about, I could, I could do Dragon Force. I could pay an artist and, you know, I could finally do it. I didn't have enough to finish the book, but I had enough to get it to a point where, who knows, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd been lamenting about it for a while, and I was hanging out with a friend of mine, uh, Sonia Campbell, and we're like brother and sister and I was just sitting there saying should I do it and she's like just do it man she's like no one's gonna come to your rescue no one's gonna help you no one's ever wanted to help you with this and I was like you know what you're right and I always tell people you know invest in yourself and, yeah you know I'm always giving this great advice <laughs> and then you don't follow it <laughs> yeah but I don't follow it same way. and uh, so I said okay I'm doing it man and I found an artist and an inker and just pulled that trigger and it was the scariest moment of my life to send that much money to an absolute stranger. Mm -hmm. I've never sent that much money to anyone ever or, or bought anything of, like that. And there was this fear, this fear that comes over you, you know, when you're poor. Yeah. 
and you're like, oh man, people are just gonna look at me like I'm crazy, you know? Like, oh, you could have gotten a better apartment, you could have gotten a better car. Because uh, I drive an 05 Camry right now, and it sucks. It's a good car, I take that back. It's a good car, it's just not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all my money went to a tribal force. <laughs> hey, that's awesome, but, though, man. Uh, I get this uh, text from Gene one day. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I said, hey, guess what? I'm getting tribal force back on, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, guess what I'm doing? I go, what? He goes, I'm publishing. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And Gene's a colorist, and he's got a, a couple of other guys that do other aspects of the book. Long story short, uh, we signed a contract. Uh, his company's called Machine Comics, and they brought me in as a partner, and we are now publishing Tribal Force. We did a Kickstarter. That's awesome. Got fully funded on Kickstarter, so the first book is out. It's out now? Yeah. And nice. it's available at uh, Machine Comics, comics with an X, dot com. And uh, we're working on issue two right now. So we'll go order one probably tonight then. Yeah, so it's crazy that it's finally happening. That's super you know? cool, man. And because of Reservation Dogs. I mean, Reservation Dogs opened up so many doors for me. Um, I've done eight movies since Reservation Dogs, since I got cast. And then I did. Damn, you've done there. eight since then? Yeah. That's three are, three are out now, and the rest are coming out. Sometime what are the three that are out now? Uh, Deep Woods. I saw um, that. Oh my God, they're going to kill me. <laughs> Vampire movie. Uh, oh. Blood Relatives. Yeah. Okay. And. Uh, <laughs> I think I had them. I yeah. just literally saw yeah, I think, all IMDb, three of those right the there. Oracle right in front of you. Let me see. Yes. Yes. We do that we, all the time, man. We're like, how are we going to figure this out? Yeah, There's no way to look up. <laughs> What all he has in your There was a movie you made that was about a guy and a dog in Montana. Oh, yes, yes. Why am I having brain farts? Deep Woods, Year of the Dog. Year of the Dog. That one looked interesting. I saw the trailer. It was really good, and we've been getting. Jeff Bridges saw it. Oh, okay. He tweeted a comment about it and shared the link. That was an incredible film. Is this out for like. To, to, to watch now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's out now. Sweet. And uh, I get to play an awesome part. Michael Spears is in the movie as well. Rob Grabo is the lead. And everyone did an amazing job. And there's a dog in there. And the dog was awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. just a really good story. And it's just one of those films that I did that I'm just proud of. You know, when you do certain projects. Some are just, you know, fun, fun. And the, this one, I was just... Because it had a profound effect on people. Yeah. And when people write you and tell you these intimate stories about themselves and their lives, you're like, holy cow. Uh, you forget how cinema and movies affect people. Yeah. Uh, when, I did, when I did Reservation Dogs the first season and we did the hunting episode, I had no idea. I really didn't. And Sterling did. Sterling called me up one day. He goes, get ready to be America's favorite dad. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and then it, it hit, when it hit, it just... I, my daughter, my daughter, she was like, Dad, have you been online? And I go, yeah. And she's like, there's people dressing up like you and Lily Jack for Halloween. And I'm like, what? And you know, she sent me photos and just... That's a native cool. country. And one of the cutest ones I saw was a native dad and his daughter. She was like maybe four, three, <laughs> a little tiny thing with the war paint on that Willie Jack had. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. 
and somebody had made Legos of us, and it was huge. And and I started getting messages on Facebook and just people telling me about their stories, about their fathers, their uncles who had passed away and that episode reminded them of those moments. And we were now representing Indian, Indian country, the untold stories and showing healthy, positive natives for the first time. And all these marginalized human beings who had never seen that, uh, you know, finally had some something to say to the world, this is us. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I, it's, it's weird because you don't realize the profoundness of it until something like that happens. Right. And, uh, and I'm honored now, you know, after shooting this, the last season, season three, you know, you look back and you're like, man, that was just crazy. We, we were so terrified shooting the first season. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got to be in season two. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're on the Antis episode. Get out yeah, of we're, here. Yeah, we're at the hotel when they're recording. And, yeah. um, if you watch the episode, we're in it. it it's like a time. It's like a some kind of weird time warp because we're at one end, oh, yeah. and me and him are giving each other a high five, and I'm saying bye to him. And then you, the camera flips to whoever whoever they're talking to. And there and you we're are, right yeah. behind them, giving out giving <laughs> yeah. out cards and showing people T-shirts and like back to back shots. Where yeah, the, you, you, you can see my hair sticking up in the background. I'm like, wait a second, and I didn't notice it until he had pointed out, like almost a, like a year after. Yeah, it was, I was like, hey man, we're both. Yeah, like, hey, it's like boom, boom, like yeah. The only thing I was, I was, I was like, man, I, was, I hope they show a panning scene where they show our logo. That's all I wanted. Well, I didn't care if we got in it. I didn't yeah. want to be in a TV show. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted our, I wanted our logo because they had it all set up right there too, and it looked nice. Uh, shout out Sierra Rivas, man. Oh man, yeah, our department, the one they, came. they can't ever do wrong in our eyes. Yeah, I mean, there, there are. We love them. We yeah. love them there. We got to hang out. And Sterling was shooting right next to, like, like directing right next to us. And yeah, this guy. It's my favorite thing. This guy got choked up in the middle of a, of a shoot. We weren't even in this. We're just sitting, literally Sterling standing right yeah. here. And uh, I said, something happened to Isaiah, and he goes, <clears throat> like had a cough real quick. It was just, like, it was just reaction. And I go, saliva, just asphyxiation. And I looked up. I looked up, and Sterling just goes. Just kind of laughed about it, you know. I'm just like, oh, thank God, we're gonna, we're gonna get fired. We're done. Yeah, we're gonna get out of here, here, you amateurs. But now it was so much fun, and uh, just seeing everybody. We got to watch all the aunties do their do their. Watch the crew, like like a whale oil machine. They they the crew is amazing. He put together every season. He's had great crews. Yeah, but I worked with Sterling before anyone knew him. Yeah, I did Goodnight Irene right out of. We, we met at the Sundance Film Institute Director's Lab 05, and we didn't really get to talk to each other until the end of the lab. And he comes up to me, and we just start talking. And, uh, he's like, hey, I'm doing this film in Oklahoma. And he just sounded like a broken banjo to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you come out, you come out, man. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's sure. Like, I can't pay you anything. And I'm like, just get me there and feed me, and we're cool. And uh, the first Good Night Irene was very very low budget his mom was like making breakfast burritos for us and nice. no money and sleeping on somebody's couch and uh, we do this film it opens up at Sundance and then he calls me in for his second film which I think was Barking Water and we did Barking Water and that opened up Sundance and then we did Four Sheets to the Wind and then um, 
years had gone by and I hadn't heard anything. I was wondering what was going on with him. So I call him, this is about three months prior to Reservation Dogs. And I was like, dude, what's going on? You gonna make another movie? And he's like, nah. He's like, I think I'm at the end. And I'm like, what? Oh. He's, yeah, he goes, I've been applying at colleges to be a teacher, you know, teach film. And I'm like, Starlin. And he goes, dude, he goes, I got a family. He's like, I'm not making any money. They don't like my films in Hollywood. You know, nobody's calling me. And I said, well, if you ever get anything, please don't forget me, dude. I'm there. And um, then three months later, I'm, you know, going through Facebook, and there's this article, Taika Waititi, Sterling Harjo. And I, you know, I texted him and, um, you know, said congratulations and said, hey, don't forget me. And then all the other stuff I told you about happened. <laughs> uh, but the funny thing was, Sterling, when I, at the premiere, Taika showed up and he tells the story of how everything happened, him and Sterling. Uh, Sterling was on his way out. And then one day his agent calls him and says, what's reservation dogs? And he's like, how do you know about that? Because that's something uh, Tyke and I have been talking about, just throwing ideas back and forth, yeah. but nothing concrete. She goes, well, you have a deal at FX now for reservation dogs. And he's like, no, I don't. She goes, yes, you do. <laughs> And then the, his phone rings and it's Taika and he goes, let me call you back. I think Taika did something. And I, I shit you not, this is what happened. Sterling's like, dude, what's going on? He's like, hey, got your deal at FX, <laughs> but I gotta go. And he just hangs up. Just hung up? Yeah. That's hilarious. And for like two and a half weeks, Sterling was on his own, putting everything together. And then finally when everything was together, Taika shows up. Oh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's crazy. And yeah, and I got to meet Taika. Funny, nice guy. He was nice to everybody. Very generous, uh, you know, with his time and the way he treats people. You know, like when he talks yeah. to you, he's talking to you. To you, yeah, you're yeah. You're having a moment with right. the Waititi. And uh, it was just like a dream. You know, we had the LA premiere, and I took my friend Sonia Campbell, and. Um, we're at this premiere and there's Taika Waititi and Sterling and FX and Disney and uh, they really rolled the red carpet out for us, you know, on all, on all ends, you know, uh, kudos to FX because when I went on the set of Reservation Dogs for the first time, I was just astounded by the amount of equipment and trucks and people and, you know, the camera equipment, yeah. everything was top of the line which Sterling had never had before, really. And I looked at Sterling, and he's like... Check this out. Yeah, can yeah. you believe it? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and almost <clears throat> at the same time, all the veteran actors that were there, Casey Kornick and... Or Casey Camp and, um, you know, all the other veterans that we had known each other all this through the 90s, this fear settled on us. Because it was like, oh my God, Hollywood has finally responded to us, and now they're giving us the shot. Yeah. And we have everything we need, so there's no excuses. No excuses not to get it get it done. So if we bomb, if this thing sucks, we'll never get to make movies again. <laughs> They'll never trust natives again. Oh no. So we were like, you know, we were so that's terrified. That's yeah, that's like pressure. all of a sudden, so that's a, a weight to carry. The cool thing was everybody was brought their A game. Everybody yeah. was like, "I'm gonna make." I mean, everybody was there to make it good. So if we did fail, 
you can walk away saying, hey, that was our best. We did, yeah. And if they didn't like it, there was nothing more we can give. And, you know, and that's the way I am with auditions. You know, if I feel like, ah, I could have done better, I could have been more emotional, I could have added more energy. That's a horrible feeling, especially when you don't get it and you know exactly why you didn't get it. Uh, so this, it was the same thing. We were like, okay, we're just, we're going to leave everything there. And if right. Hollywood doesn't like it and it fails, then that's our answer. And we'll be able to walk on. And we knew native country was going to love it. We yeah. It. We knew. You're going to be a hit here regardless. Yeah, yeah. Indians are going to love this, man. Because we've never had anything. And as a yeah. native, I was like digging it. We didn't know about everybody else. Though. Right. Right. Like, are they gonna get it? Yeah. Are they gonna be like those guys are right. Well, they got it. They sure. They got it. Yeah. They loved it. They ate it up, and we we're. It was. It's such a great feeling to know that the, the globe, the zeitgeist, is into you. Yeah. And I had been talking to this girl that lived in Baghdad, and she called me up one day, and she's like, "You're on our TV." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" She goes, "Yeah, Reservation Dogs are talking about you right now in Arabic." That's crazy. And I'm like, what? And there was this entertainment show out there, and they were recommending Reservation Dogs. That's super cool. And I'm like, in Baghdad, dude. <laughs> and I'm just like, and that's, I was like, oh my God, this is so much bigger than I realized. And, uh, you know, eventually you start getting recognized. Yeah. I went to Alaska. I did a movie in Alaska and called The Sea Folk. And... <laughs> I didn't, I'm like, no one's going to know me here. <laughs> and we went to this place, and somebody comes up to me, you play Leon Reservation. Oh, my God. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> and uh, I ended up going to a Native event, and I got swamped. I mean, I was signing autographs and taking pictures with everyone, and it was just such a strange, cool, strange feeling. Yeah. But, it, it you know, you're in Alaska. Yeah. And I thought, there's no way, there's no way people, it's going to have infected this area. And it had, it had gone global. And um, this, this entertainment website made a list of the top 20 dads in TV and movies for 2022. And I was on it. And I was number six, or Leon was on it. <laughs> and uh, Leon was number six. I had beat the Mandalorian. And I was nice. right behind James Bond. And uh, it was weird, you know, because my daughter was like, Dad, you're on this list with these movie stars. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool. So every now and then I remind my daughter, hey, you have the number six best dad. That's right. Movies and TV. <laughs> I got proof of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, let's see. What else we got? You got anything? Man, you uh, this was talk a lot. This, no, 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 no. no, no. Exactly, <laughs> this exceeded because I was worried like like we're not going to have enough questions and we're just going to be sitting here. But dude, this was perfect. This was more than I expected. Oh, cool. So thank you for coming. I mean, we're not done yet. Just if if, if you're still good to go. Yeah. No, okay. Cool. I I just I just didn't know if uh, if we needed to because they're we're at an, about an hour. So. Okay. Now I saw this movie called Wastelander. No. <laughs> I had to. I just have to know, like, what is it like doing a like a post-apocalypse? Oh my God! It was I. There was this young guy named An Angelo Lopes, and he was making this movie. He had been making it for years, struggling, you know, trying to get the financing together for it. He didn't really have the money to do it, but I'd heard about it, and he was looking for a leading man. So I recommended a good friend of mine from high school, 
and then I, you know, just out of curiosity, I was like, is there, are there any other parts available, you know, and he said, well, there's this guy, and he's supposed to be punk rock and skinny and real, and I said, well, I'd like to play him, you know, I'd like to be in the film so I could work with my buddy uh, on the movie, so we shoot the movie, and it's super low budget, dude, I mean, it, there's just no frills, this is how low budget it was. So Brendan and I, we had both done movies. We had worked on Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man together as uh, stunt or uh, stand-ins. <laughs> and we're out in the sun. This is Arizona. We're wearing leather and fur and all kinds of crap. You know, post-apocalyptic gear. And we're just dying. <laughs> and there's not even a tent to shade us. Or <laughs> so one of the producers is running by with a bunch of stuff, and he goes, "Hey, if you guys get hungry, there's uh, there's uh, lunch meat on the hood of the truck." And we look at the hood of the truck, and there's a jar of pickles, mayonnaise, out in the sun. Oh, my God. And lunch meat. No bread. That's it. <laughs> and we were looking at each other like, what has happened to us? <laughs> like, that's it. No that's thrills, man. Yeah. And I was just like, ah. Get you. What you do is you get your bologna, you yeah. get a pickle, you dip it in the mayo, oh, yeah. and you roll it up, roll the pickle up. Ow. There you go. You don't yeah. need no bread. Bread so, for fancy folk. He had finally finished it, and I said, hey, I want to see a cut of this. And I saw it, and there was something odd about it. There was something really gitchy about it. I said, this feels like it was shot in the 80s. And I called a partner of mine, my, my rep, and I said, hey, you know, I want to try and help this thing get distribution. And... God. Yeah, I go, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let you look at it and see if you catch it too, see if I'm not imagining it. So he watches it. He calls me back. He goes, yeah, it's got this weird 80s thing going on. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and um, so I said, do you still have connections and distribution? Because I would like to, you know, see if, what, what, what we have to do to get it. So he's like, I'll make a couple of calls. And he did. And... Um, he calls me up one night. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He goes, we just got an offer. I'm like, what? Yeah. He goes, yeah, we got an offer. And I go, well, what do we do? And he's like, we need to LLC, like, tonight. <laughs> so we had to LLC that night and then the next day so we could accept the offer. And uh, then we had to call Angelo and tell him we got an offer. <laughs> and then later on we found out that the company was tied to Lionsgate. Oh, okay. So it was huge for a local Tucson actor to get yeah. global distribution yeah. from the Lionsgate company. Uh, and we got it. So my company, my distribution company, was born. Uh, nice. You know, Proud Star Entertainment. And um, Oh, dope. That's I had, cool. I had done a film years back uh, called Dude Vision. And it was a short film, and it won the Arizona International Film Festival. So then I went from Dude Vision to a feature called So Close to Perfect. Didn't have the money to actually do it, but I did it anyway. And unfortunately, it never saw the light of day. It never got distribution. Oh, no. So it broke my heart. It broke my freaking heart. Yeah. And it was comedy, and I got to do comedy. And um, so I had vowed, I'm like, I don't ever want this to happen to another Tucson filmmaker. And my goal was to create this distribution company that helped low-budget films get distribution. Uh, and then Wastelander was the first one, our first success story. And then since then, we've gotten like four or five other films distribution through uh, Lionsgate. Nice. Um, but it just uh, it made me so happy because that was never, because you don't understand how heartbreaking it is to put so much time and effort into a project and everybody helps you. And 
it goes nowhere. Yeah. You know, at least oh, you can, can say, yeah. hey, people saw it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and was so close to perfect, only a handful of people have seen it. Um, you know, and maybe someday I'll reshoot it or something. Okay. Uh, Do you have any original, like, footage from it? Oh, or? yeah, I've got the whole film. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah I didn't know. I, I didn't it's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's got its problems. Now I have the optics to see where I made my mistakes. Right. And also what you don't think about is like when I thought okay I'm going to do So Close to Perfect it's a romantic comedy I had no idea if romantic comedies were hot or in or anything right and then when I finally got to distribution I talked to HBO and they're like oh what kind of film is it and I go romantic comedy they're like ooh <laughs> I go what and they're like yeah romantic comedies even if there's stars in it it's hard to get hard to get it going and I was like really thanks for telling me now and uh, then I thought okay that was my mistake I go, why didn't I call the distributor saying, what are you looking for? Yeah. And even then it's a gamble because they can say, hey, we're looking for sparkly vampires. And then I go out, (laughs) it takes me six, seven months to do a sparkly Sparkly vampire. vampire, Yeah. And by the time it's done, no, you know, this is in cars (laughs) with hot chicks. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with these sparkly yeah. vampires? Sparkly vampires. I got them all lined up. Yeah, they're all sparkly. Over they're all sparkly for no reason. Do you see these guys? <laughs> uh, so yeah, for independent, it's hard. You know, yeah. it's hard to hit that. We lucked out with Wastelander because Mad Max did way better than what the industry thought it would do. Right. And so we rode the wave in on that, and we were lucky. It was it was just luck. Uh, if you watch Wastelander, you can see the low budgetness of it, and you know there's some cringeworthy moments. And uh, one of the best reactions we got from somebody, and Angelo's gonna hate me for saying this. Somebody wrote in and says, "This is what happens when somebody gets an iPhone and a bunch of out of work porn actors." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I you get ham and mayonnaise and pickles yeah. out yeah. in the middle of it. I was like, Dude, we need to put this on the case of the DVD. Yes, yes, yes. And Angelo was pissed. He's like, "No," he goes, "Aren't you mad?" He goes, "They're making fun of you." And I said, "No." So? I go, "It's awesome." Yeah. I go, "That was." Funny, come on! Funny's funny. Yeah, come on. that means someone took the time to watch it and rev- and then review yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, no such thing as bad press. No, and then we oh. got some, you know, decent reviews from some podcasters who watched it and realized they said, okay, obviously these guys had very little money, but for the scope of the project, it's massive. Yeah, what Angelo did. I mean, the costumes and cars and. Like, I'm like, how the hell did this kid pull this off with such little money that he had? It's amazing. You know, and the resources that he pulled together, that in itself was just spectacular. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, where it does hurt story and, you know, camera work and different things like that. Uh, But it's just, it's a low budget wonder. And I love low budget stuff. Yep. It hey, was, Wastelander 2 could fix those problems. Well, That's hopefully great. he's huh? working on it right oh, now. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing Wastelander 2. Uh, the The advance that we got him on Wastelander allowed him to pay a bunch of his actors and people that helped him on the film, which is unheard of in Tucson. Yeah. And I'm sure that's the case with all, you know, across the United States. Right. 
independent film, nobody ever gets sees that check that, you know, if we get profit, you'll see a check. Yeah, yeah. that never happens. Right. So for Angelo to have called these people up and say, hey, I got a check for you for the work that you did, <coughs> that in itself was amazing. Because uh, as an independent filmmaker, I know what that's like not to be able to, you know, to, to afford to pay your crew. So it was a cool event, and it gave Angelo some necessary street credit, you know, with other people nice. who will come in a second time. And honestly, he probably didn't even need to pay them, and they still would have come in. Uh, you know, the film people, the film community in Tucson, they're just so hungry to work. They want to do something, you know, and uh, we've got a lot of talent, uh, unfound talent in Tucson. Uh, so hopefully, you know, that's my goal is to, you know, get people to look our way and say, yeah. hey, you know, maybe we should look there again. Well, it's like a, the Oklahoma scene is. Yeah. I mean, starting we're, we're starting to have some film and television done here. Yeah. Man, it's a... Now, granted, they're finding out real quick on how how hot it is here. Yeah, it's... But, you know, Stallone I mean... Stallone did it like the Stallone, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, can we do Tulsa King in California? Yeah. <laughs> can we do California King yeah. by chance? Yeah. <laughs> it got too hot, yep. yeah. I, I yeah. say, hey, man, I get it, man. Shoot it. <laughs> I've lived here my whole life, and I hate this heat. <laughs> I, it, it's it's not the heat; it's the, it's the it's the humidity. Yeah, it's That's those big fat it. clouds in the sky that yes. just hold yeah. it all uh, in. Tucson just... is dry heat. Yeah, it's, and it's more tolerable than this. Kind of beats you down in a weird way. You mm-hmm. know? It, it, well, yeah. you know they you know where reservation dogs at school they have base camp yeah. and stuff. Well, I went with my nephew. They had to do a a little their background actor scene. Down around that West Tulsa, where seventy-five and forty-four meet. I mean, the hottest place. It's just the hottest. <laughs> it is twenty-five degrees hotter in that little area <laughs> than wherever in yeah. Osage County. I know that because it's Sterling. Yeah, I was like, God dang, it's hot down here. It's just come up north and just do it. Yeah, I can't. Up there. <laughs> come to the hills, man. Just yesterday, I was talking to Sterling's mom, and I was like. Because Sterling had a tumultuous, not tumultuous, but, you know, he was a young man, high school, getting into trouble, uh, didn't quite have a path. Um, so he was kind of floundering there for a while. And then I asked her, I go, did you ever think this would happen? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, yeah, here's this kid, Sterling Harjo, and he's brought millions and millions of dollars to the Tulsa economy. Yeah. Uh, I remember coming here for season one when the pandemic was at its height and there were, you know, we were renting out buildings that weren't being used. We rented out a mall, like a Macy's or something. Just sitting there abandoned. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we lost malls around here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, hiring tons of people from the community who needed jobs. Yeah, and uh, like, what an incredible thing uh, Sterling has done. Yeah. for his community. Uh, and it's just amazing. And he's he's always like since the beginning, his sets just not felt like movie sets. They just felt like you're hanging out with a bunch of friends and family. Yeah. Like felt more like a powwow than anything. <laughs> and uh, and he kept it. Thank God he kept that. He, he's close with all his crew. Right. They joke with him. They know when to joke and they know when to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Because yeah. the, his camera team, the camera team, man, they're like Navy SEALs, man. <laughs> These guys do not fool around. And they are precision and just professional. Yeah. Get out of hell, man. It's amazing what these guys do. 
and Sterling, over the years that he's done those films, he's just collected all these people and talent. And and you do that not knowing, will I ever get to use these guys, right. you know? Right. And he was given this opportunity, and him and Taika, and I, I owe everything to those guys because they kept their word. Right. When I lost out on Big, I was like, there was this part of me that's like, they're not coming back. <laughs> yeah. They're going to have their choice of any actor they want, and why come back to this guy in Tucson? And, you know, Sterling kept his word. Not just with me, several other actors right. have the same story that I do, that Sterling said, hey, I'm going to give you a part or I'll come back. And he did. Yeah. And they were like, I, I didn't think he'd remember me. <laughs> and he brought Bobby Lee to Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And that's just Bobby amazing. Lee. He got to be in a scene with them. Uh, he was he was in the room when they were doing the... Talk about snagging. Yeah. 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 We were in, yeah. yeah. And in between scenes, Bobby was walking through the hallway, and I was at our booth waiting for him to come back out. And I saw, and I got starstruck. And I, but I also didn't know etiquette on sets. And I didn't want to be like Bobby Lee and just go rush him and try to talk. Plus, I'm this. And I don't, I don't know how he would yeah. take me approaching him like that. So I just, and just watched him walk yeah. by and was like, there it went. That was my shot. I could have talked to Bobby Lee. There he went. Do you remember the skit he did? I think it was in Mad TV where he was applying for a video game and he wore a green suit and it was about Dragon's Blood 2 or something. I want to say I do, but... Yeah, I, yeah, it was this really obscure thing and he comes in this tight green suit, tight suit, and they go, okay, this is for Dragon's Blood 2 and he's all geeked out and he's like, <laughs> and they're like okay, you're, you're walking down the corridor. Yes! <laughs> and now there's a goblin at your side. Strike him with your knife. And he's like... <laughs> he goes, oh, there's another one over there. Like, Dude, yeah. Okay. And he's like, now you got to get both of them. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, there's a dragon. His blood's all over your face. And he's like, oh. Yeah, no, but it's, it's good blood because it gives you extra strength. He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you guys can see what we're doing. Yeah. 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 We're like, uh, there's no video going on right Okay, now. so that being said, I see Bobby Lee and I run to him like, Dragon's Blood 2. <laughs> and he's like, great. He goes, the first thing you say to is me jacking off people. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. He goes, dude, you're my hero. <laughs> oh my God. That was so, I got to take pictures with him. I was That's so, cool, man. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, I've, I've loved that guy for a long time. It's so cool that he just, he was just hanging out here. Like he was just hanging out in Tulsa. That blew my mind because to think of, Bobby he Lee. really liked it. He really enjoyed yeah. his stay here in Tulsa. And he said at first he was a little concerned because I think he came here years earlier and it wasn't the best yeah. moment. It's, it's come a, it's come it's, a ways. Yeah, yeah. It's come a ways, this town. Yeah. It's, it was always the, the cool place. The cool being in the big yeah, place yeah, it is yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. So he was, he loves it. He said he loved it and everybody was nice to him, and which is fantastic. Well, come it's, on, Bobby. Move. Move here. Yeah, move back Come here. to Tulsa. Let's go. And, you know, and that all stems from Sterling and Taika. Yeah. What they did for this community is just... What they did for the community, for the Native American community, is beyond... Uh, yeah, I just have no words. You know, this yeah. kid. I keep calling him a kid. He's a young man. Because <laughs> uh, I just remember him as that pudgy dude that I ran into at Sundance. Uh, but, yeah, this young man, the profound you know, the profoundness of everything he's done for the Native American community and indigenous communities across the world. Yeah. Because in indigenous communities, there's always that similarity between all of us. 
you know, it's like the ghetto. If you've lived in a ghetto, you yep. know, you know other yep. people who lived in the ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there are just things that are similar and things that are completely different. You know, like I see things out here and I'm like, yeah, they're Indian or this is Indian. And then there's some things where I'm like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what are these people doing here? What are, you know? What's the one thing you've noticed here that kind of made you go, well, what's that? Or, or why do you do that? Or uh, I'm trying to think. Sorry, I was put you on the no, spot. No, 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 that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to think what threw me off here. Uh, you know, it's just little things. I think it's the religious things that you guys, okay. that the tribes do out here. Yeah. It's just different. It's, you know, indicative of this tribe. And it's so much different how we handle things. Because uh, in Tucson, the Don Autumn Nation and the Basquayaki were very much integrated with Mexican culture. Yeah. Uh, the Yaquis come from Mexico, from Hermosillo, uh, and, you know, so we're integrated, so there's a lot of Spanish and yeah. Mexican food mixed up and stuff like that, and, you know, we don't have stuff like catfish and, you know, and the accent, your guys' country accent, what we consider country, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's all strange to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but then, you know, the similar, the fry bread and, the, you know, grease. On everything, <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's Indian. You like to fry everything, man. Yeah, fry everything. <laughs> uh, but you know, I've been learning a lot about the Muscogee culture and just the closeness of the culture impressed me. And the family, you know, you guys, I loved seeing that. It's so indicative of Native cultures, the closeness, and you know, everyone is an uncle, truly an uncle, and they raised the, you know kids running around in the streets yeah. and everything like that and somebody will step in because family family or I know that guy's family so I'm gonna go yeah. tell her she needs to get her ass home exactly yeah <laughs> or I'm gonna call your your dad. folks will know what you've done before you yep. walked in your house exactly. like, I already, I'm beautiful. telling you right? that's yeah. beautiful that's call, beautiful. call your mother yeah like, that's yeah. beautiful yeah. and you know people don't realize you know how valuable that is to know for young people to know that there are limitations that are like, oh man, she's gonna call my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I better get there quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Give me. You missed it, but I just did some damn good acting right there. I know, man. I felt like we need to call the EMTs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pancreatitis. No. It's a. Uh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a uh, appendix. Yeah, yeah. I don't appendix. have my appendix anymore. Oh, yeah, it grew back. And <laughs> and I grew another appendix. It, it reinflated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it's big again. I got, I got to get it taken out, man. Yeah. Now I, I wasn't gonna miss this opportunity. No. Like, like, not to derail the conversation we were just on, but I was not gonna miss this. Like, once you gave, once you sent that message. It was game time. We had to come do this. Now, that's kind of, kind of a different subject. I saw last night, a buddy of mine had pictures. There was something, I guess, here at the Mayo. They, uh, I guess West Studi had a, had a film or something down at Circle Cinema. And they were up. Oh, up really? Up yeah, they had something. Oh, that's cool. Oh, what's that guy's name? Yeah, then? I don't get invited to the cool stuff. Ah, oh, damn. damn. Wes, thank you for not inviting oh, me. Oh, damn. No, he's a cool guy. I've known Wes since the '90s. So you were in Geronimo too. I mean, yeah, I did. I did a small part in Geronimo. Uh, it was the scene where the young Geronimo steals pony from a Zuni warrior. Ah, I am that Zuni warrior. <laughs> uh, yeah, and no, to get to work with Wes and Zahn, 
you know, I got to do a, a scene with Zahn the other day and Michael Spears. And it's just, it's like a dream, dude. It's like, I can't believe I'm working with these cats, you know, these cats I've seen all my life. And, you know, I, I came up with Zahn in Hollywood in the early 90s and then I had to leave. So there was this, you know, always watching his career blossom and I'm like, oh, you lucky bastard. And I'm like, <laughs> I could have been there. I could have been auditioning. For that, and we were just joking the other day. Whenever I would see him in LA, like we go you know, show up to an audition, and I walk in there, Zahn's there, and he'd see me. And he goes, "God damn it!" <laughs> I'm like, "What, dude?" And he's like, "They're gonna give it to you. They're gonna give it to you." I'm like, "Dude, come on!" And he goes, "There can only be one." <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Have you seen Dark Winds? I haven't seen it, Zahn. That's, uh, uh, but I hear a lot of good things about it. I'm trying to get to watch it because I really want to be on the show. A good friend of mine uh, just appeared in the show, uh, and I know Zahn, so I'm really proud of what. Is he's there a doing. season two? I think they they just finished with it. Or okay, they? sweet, out. Oh, sweet. Because I, I so. yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rewatch a, season one again so I can get get fresh and everything. Man, I watched it with some some people that were. From uh, Arizona Navajos, yeah, and they were at our where I worked at, and they watched it, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is too." Who knows this? I was like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> yeah, out some somebody knows some too much. Somebody's like, "Oh, who knows?" What does that mean? On that show, I hope I get an opportunity. That'd be super cool, it. man. Yeah, hell yeah. It's on your next. So if you ever want to come on, let's go. Well, is there anything you would like to yeah. uh, plug or say anything uh, for? The biggest thing for me is my comic book. Yes. Uh, you know, it's Machine Comics is the publisher, comics with an X, uh, and it's Tribal Force, and we have comics and stickers and posters, and we're working on issue two. Uh, but that's my dream. That's my dream come true. That's awesome. I can't believe it's out there yet. Oh yeah! <laughs> After all these years. Nice. I, I can't. I can't wait to check it out. I'll definitely pick up a copy of it as soon as I can. Um, anything you want to add? Well, um, no. I think. I think I got everything. I. When's uh, season three coming out again? August second. August second. He'll be here before you know it. You exactly. come to the premiere. You got other. I don't know what's going on. The premiere's been fun. We've yeah, been going, we, we've been we've the been last two of them. Yeah, they, we, we've been to the last two premieres. And they, so. yeah, hooting I, and hollering. Ain't nothing like a native audience. Yeah. To when you go to the premieres, it's always exciting. <laughs> yeah. And then, but we'll see because I've got. Um, I did a, auditions for two films, so we're waiting to hear back. But then there's this eminent actor strike that's going to come. Oh, like, yeah. 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 And the writer's strike is, I think, finally coming to an end. Soon. Is it? I wasn't I hadn't heard anything. I think. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're finally. But it's only fair. You know, yeah. everything that we're asking for. It's tough. This is a tough business. Entertainment. And people don't realize that, how tough it is for us to exist. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like what you guys are doing. You yeah. have a normal gig that you have to go to and answer to. And same with me. I have a normal job, and sometimes it doesn't. The stars don't line up. Yeah. And nobody, everybody loves the fact that you're doing it, but then when it comes time to pay, or you know, give you the time off to go do it. Yeah. No, and I've had over ninety some jobs in my life. Yeah. And it's because, you know, they're all enthralled. They're like, oh, I saw you in this movie. This is great. This is fantastic. The second time you ask for time off, they're like, okay, listen. Yeah. <laughs> I go, I know the speech. You need me here. And blah, blah, blah. And I get it. But I'm sorry. I'm going to chase that dream. Yeah. Like, this isn't a career, what I'm doing here. Uh, and I don't know. I've all, you know, I grew up in Tucson in a very poor neighborhood. And 
we don't get opportunities like this. I know too many people, the woulda, coulda, shoulda stories. Yeah. When you live on the reservation or you live in a ghetto or you live around a certain type of community, that's all I ever heard. Oh, he almost went to play with the Yankees or he almost became a doctor. You know, and after a while, I'm like, why are these people not following through? Right. And you got one life and, you know... I've just, I've always wanted to do this. And I thought, well, if they're not going to kill me, then what do I have to fear? Right. And I wanted to know what everyone feared because for whatever reasons, people were afraid of something. And it's failure that everyone's afraid of. It's right. failure. And I said, so you don't chase your dreams, so you're failing because you're afraid to fail. <laughs> you know, and I said, listen. Paradoxical there. Dude, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. Go, so if I'm going to fail. Well, I, I get that because I've fallen into that category all, my whole life until just recently, actually. Just too yeah. scared to do anything. Too scared to get out of my comfort zone. And That's, here we are now. Uh, comfort is a dirty word. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really and, is. And, you know, as I've been fairly successful, and even as successful as I've been, when it came time to make that decision about putting money towards tribal force, my dream, yeah, I was stuck. I was like, should I do? Because you start thinking, you know, you start thinking of man, people are going to look at me because I, I live in the ghetto. I drive this crappy O5 Camry. The paint's fading. I'm, two of the hubcaps are missing. <laughs> like it's a ghetto, dude. <laughs> Oh, check out my car down there. Yeah, yeah. man. Shoot, 05 sounds like new to me. Like. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, I literally live in the ghetto, and um, which I, I have no problem. I don't have a problem with it, but it's always that other brain that's like, oh, people are going to start looking at you and say, oh, that guy plays Leon. Why is he driving an 05 Camry? And he's been in these movies. Why, why, why? Or Because look, Leon saves money. Yeah. Doesn't need to go spend it on everything. Yeah. And, and look flashy. You know, you start thinking like, oh, I have this money. I could buy this. Yeah. I could, you know, have this real nice car. Or yeah. Move up to a real nice apartment or house even. Uh, and you start thinking about those things. But at the end of the day, those things go quick and they yeah. don't really... I don't know. It's it's almost like cotton candy. You know, cotton candy is fun to eat and stuff, but afterwards you don't feel very good. <laughs> And I and you wanna, suck it down way too quick too. Yeah. It just dissolves in your mouth. Trick ass candy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to leave a legacy for my grandchildren. You know, I want to make a mark. I want you know people to say, "Wow, look at what he did." And I hope some young native kid, like when I looked at Will Sampson uh, and Graham Greene, uh, all these native actors, uh, Jay Silverhills, um, you know, Michael Horse. These were the guys that inspired me as a kid and they let me know you can do it it's yeah. possible uh, you just have to get up and do it and do the hard work and suffer whatever you're going to suffer uh, and I tell people if they told you hey you've got to walk 50 miles but at the end of that 50 miles there's a million dollars would you do it yeah of course everybody yeah. would yeah. No, you know even people because you know you know what's at the end of the, yeah <laughs> you know but and that's I'll just it. it. You don't know. We don't know what's at the end of our roads. There's no guarantees. There's no light at the end of our tunnels. Yeah, we're in dark water. Just yeah. <laughs> are you going the right way? I don't know. <laughs> where where'd my paddle go? Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, glad I'm paddling. Yeah. That's just it. Like I got uh, this paddle. I'm that's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it could be worse. I couldn't have a bad I lost my paddle for a little while, and it was rough. No, but, you know, and I, I, you got to think, you know, it's thinking five, ten years ahead. Yeah. Looking back at moments. What are you going to say, you know, and I told myself, what are you going to say in ten years when you don't have that money anymore? Are you going to say, oh, that was the smartest thing I ever did was not spend money on Tribal Force. I'm glad I bought a new car or whatever. Or are you going to say, you know. Check this out. Check this yeah. out. Look what I did. Thank yeah. you, John Proudstar from 2023. Yeah. For doing what you did. And I'm constantly doing that. I'm going back in time and saying, thank you, dumb John Proudstar, for <laughs> being the moron that you were <laughs> to do those ridiculous things that you did on the movie sets and show up and say, hey, hire me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or lie about being a professional writer. <laughs> well, just say one day when you're in a meeting like with somebody, an executive producer, about Tribal Force, the movie... There you go. You know, like oh, yeah. it, it had to. It had to start somewhere. It had to be no, incubated somewhere. It we, has to start somewhere, and it has to start with you, regardless of what others say. And here's the thing that I realized: I remember hearing some people talking smack about Dwayne Johnson, just talking smack about him, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, this guy was like king of WWE for a while, and he makes more money than any person on the planet. Yeah. He's made all these movies. He makes millions and millions of dollars. And these guys are criticizing him. I said, so they're going to criticize you even if you have Dwayne Johnson's oh, yeah. success. Yeah. So if, if I'm going to get criticized, it might as well be me doing what I love, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just sitting some in some horrible job that I don't like and taking criticism. Yeah. I'm like, fine, if you're going to criticize me, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I've been really lucky and fortunate. But... You know, I gotta, I gotta blame a lot of that on being stubborn and just not quitting, yeah, and not caring, and looking at people when they laughed at me or doubted me, and just be like, you have no idea what I'm capable of. And then now, a lot of my critics have been silenced <laughs> uh, because of Reservation Dogs and the success that has come from that. And you know, my daughter, she's like, you know, don't you want to go back to those people and throw yeah. it in their face? And I'm like, no, I don't want to weaponize this. Yes, I want yeah. everything that comes from Reservation Dogs to be positive. Yes, I don't want. Exactly. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. Yeah, uh, I'd rather motivate them and have them say, man, if that guy did it, I I should go pursue my dream. Yeah, because uh, what else? What else is life for? You know, seriously. Yeah. I've, I've walked a lot of people to the grave. I right. worked in a, in a convalescent home. And there were, and it was, you have to be rich to stay there, quite wealthy. And these wealthy people, a lot of them died alone. Yeah. Because their families didn't care. And I, they're sitting with that. I was a handyman. And I'm holding their hands as they're passing into the next world. And I'm thinking, is this, is this it? Is this what life has This is what do? you work so hard for right here. To die alone with, yeah. with 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 the handyman holding your hand, yeah, you know, with the Indian Jewish Mexican handyman <laughs> yeah. holding if your you hand. You gotta go yeah. to the afterlife. Yeah. Yeah, you got all bases. You got bases. You covered. got all the bases you covered. Got, bro. You, so, yeah, you I, think, there, really. I think we're pretty good. If, as long as you're standing there, just hold my hand for a second and guide me for a second. Yeah, no. So it left a profound <laughs> effect on me, and yeah. I thought, okay, you know. Uh, I just want to live life the way I want to live it. Yeah. I want to be happy. It's hard to be happy, like truly happy. So that's what I'm working on every day. As long as yeah. I do what I love, 
what else could you ask for? That's what this is for us now is to get out of what what we, what we were discussing, you know. And my dad, he doesn't quite. He's from uh, he's he's seventy four, seventy three, seventy four. No, he might be seventy five now. I'm not. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm not 100 positive. He's an old guy, but he uh, he's he kept telling me he's like, you know what? If you don't like your job, quit it and get another job. And I'm like, yeah, Dad, I get it, but I got a family, I got a mortgage, I got bills. I can't go backwards. I got to go forwards. If I quit a job, I need to be making about the same amount to survive. But I also, I think we've all kind of realized that we need to live our lives. Like we need to not be. You don't need to work your entire life. You've got to have some kind of pleasure or fun in this life to maintain this uh, sensibility of self, self of uh, you know to being a sane person I think because I'll tell you what it, it was getting dark for a while and now it's this podcast has changed yeah. so many things for me and I'm assuming for him too yep you know? oh, that's awesome if but, you guys, uh, imagine if you didn't write me and ask exactly was yeah I was t- if I was too scared what 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 did that what what, what kicked that off is uh, real quick before I know you gotta go mm-hmm. um, I hit up a comedian uh, shout out Josh Wolf um, he, he I know he doesn't listen he told me he did he told me he doesn't <laughs> so I know he doesn't listen but shout out Josh Wolf anyways he I reached out to him and told I was like hey man just started this podcast I'm a huge fan of you. Would you listen to it and kind of see if maybe like it's any good or anything? Like, do you think it's funny? Like, I just wanted him to tell me like, it's really good. And he messaged me back about 20 minutes later and was like, uh, Hey man, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to listen to your podcast, (laughs) but I will say this. You don't need me to tell you what's good. If you guys like it, that's all that matters. Make friends. Make friends in your in, in your in your city in your state. Start building a network, which is what we've done. We have a whole network, and now uh, we've got uh, one of the biggest, I think, podcast guys in Oklahoma, uh, Russell Sun Eagle, from the Okie Podcast. He's one of our best friends now, and we have this great connection uh, network. Of, that's how we got on Reservation Dogs. We met uh, Sierra through Russ and all them, and our little clique that we have now, and. And he was right. We just made friends, and things have happened from make, just making those friends, just the, the things that have happened from that. And uh, also, he was Josh Wolf was the first person to have a piece of our merch. So oh, again, wow. shout out to Josh. He's always been he's always been like a silent supporter. He's messaged me a few times since then, yeah. and we've talked a little bit. And he's just giving me you know accolades and whatnot or incur- words of encouragement, I guess. But he's a good dude. Uh, but that's kind of what. I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to shoot my shot whenever I messaged him. And he goes, man, shoot or shoot, dude. That's what you do. You got you to shoot your shot. It's scary because you don't want to suck. You yeah. really don't. But here's the thing. You have to suck. You have yeah. to. I didn't know how to act when I went to L.A. I auditioned and I, fly, I, I snuck into John Cusack's agent's uh, building. And I heard the story that John Cusack... He snuck in, but he did the old pizza box thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where he walked in and said, hey, I have a pizza delivery for... And that's how he met his agent. Oh, okay. So I said, I'll do the same thing. Yeah. Zach's agent. So I go there, pizza box. I found a pizza box. I'm like, this is my lucky day. All the arrows are pointing in the right direction. I go up there. And I'm like, yeah, it was pizza delivery. For and they're like, oh, okay, go ahead. And I was like, I get up there. And she knew immediately. She's like, you read the story. I go, yeah. She goes, all right. She goes, I'll give you an audition. I'm like, cool. So she hands me these sides. 
and it's like this Michael J. Fox kind of, you know, sitcom-y thing, and I'm like, <laughs> and she goes, I'll give you a couple hours, come back in a couple hours. So I go, and I, I don't know how to memorize, I don't, I'm not an actor yet. Yeah. And I go in there and give possibly the worst, and there's three women now. Yeah. There's her and three other women, the head of this agency, this big agency, John Cusack, you know? Yeah. It was horrible. It, and I tell people, I probably could have had a better shot if I just dropped my pants and took a dump. I think they would have been more impressed with that than the performance that I gave in that moment. Yeah. He can, on cue, he can... Yeah, like, wow, that was really drop artsy. A deuce right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is our guy here, Hey, man. John, do number two. <laughs> See you Give me some diarrhea splatter. Hey, thing. Oh, look at in the control. He could stop and go. Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> so for 40 minutes afterwards, these women in great detail told me how bad I was. <laughs> I, like, I didn't know there were that many words for horrible acting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they were mad. It was a master class. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> So I walked out of there just totally destroyed. Because this was right after Dances with Wolves. I had the hair. I was, again, young, good looking. I thought I was just going to roll in there and punch. Yeah. We're just going to. Yeah, yeah, you get all the pop. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so she tells, you know, I leave there just like, whoo. <laughs> but she told me this. She goes, This moment will make you or break you. Yeah. And that's all up to you. And after I cried <laughs> and wiped my tears away, I said, she's right. I need to take this serious. I've never taken anything serious. Right. Um, so I started studying and I went to teachers and I took acting classes and I just became the, just wanting information about acting and I wanted to get better. And, and that was my goal. And I knew I could get better yeah. if, if given the right opportunities. And, uh, and here I am, because that moment didn't break me, Yeah. but it did make me. It, it, and that's a big thing about this industry, is having the optics. We have right. people around us that have a little too much confidence. And I'm just like, oh, slow your roll there, buddy. <laughs> like, you, you have to be able to accept criticism. And I always tell people, listen, especially when I'm criticizing an actor when I teach classes, I say, take 50% of what I say and throw it out the window. The other 50%, log it, and if you start hearing that over and over again from at least two or three other people, it's probably something you need to work on. Yeah. There's probably a deficiency there in your ability, whatever it is you're trying to do, and you have to have the optics to say, I need to improve that. You know, Schwarzenegger talked about it when he was a young bodybuilder, being able to look at the mirror saying, okay, I need bigger biceps, I need, I gotta work on this, and yeah. looking at other bodybuilders saying, oh, I want a physique like his. Uh, and that's I think that's the hard part is being surrounded by a lot of I really want to be a star or I really want to do a podcast and uh, whatever it is you're trying to do you have to have the optics to take some advice but keep moving forward right. and having that confidence knowing I suck today I'll suck less tomorrow yeah exactly <laughs> you know? yeah which is pretty much what we've been you know it's it's a slow ride enjoy he keeps telling me to enjoy it now because once something does blow up, we're not going to have any time to do anything else. It changes. Yeah. 
yeah. responsibilities that come. I mean, because you always dream about, oh, I can't wait till I'm successful. Yeah. But there's all these unseen powers that are going to come into your life. And exactly. they're going to not kill the fun, but it becomes very a lot of responsibility yeah. because then yeah. the money's involved and right. sponsors and this and that. And we got to get, you know, got to get that guest now. We got to get... And uh, you're doing what you want to do, but it's not the footloose and fancy free. Exactly. Eating sandwiches in your van, and, you know, <laughs> laughing about stuff, getting kicked out of places. Eating bologna pickle and mayo yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. Hot, hot, hot mayo. Hot uh, mayo. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, John, we, uh, we appreciate your time. No problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, real quick, though. Real quick, though. Before we, before we go, um, we need to do another reminder that if you don't if you haven't already go to okay cannabis music or okay cannabis awards music festival.com and sign up or register to vote for us daily also we got to vote for natalie standing uh, standing cloud for best tattoo artist uh kels cooper for best comedian and then the rappers it's gonna have to split them up one day do stanjati one day do our boy chic so we got to figure that out but we will anyways Make sure again, OK Cannabis a Musical OK Cannabis Awards Music Festival.com and vote for us for best vote for Toke Signal for best podcast. I hate speaking sometimes. Words are hard. Okay. So any, any last words before we go or uh, no, this is awesome. This man. was so I much fun, man. Appreciate I'm so glad you. we made it happen, man. I'm glad I'm glad we got to do it face to face and not over Zoom because I was willing to do it over Zoom, but we much prefer yeah. the in person. It's, it's more intimate. The vibe it's just, feels, it's just the vibes whole... better. We can all click better. It's there's no delays. Nobody sounds like they're in a closet. You know, like, I don't know what camera to look at. Like, just yeah. man, be honest with you, just like oh, staring at myself like, the whole time. Like I'm all like, what? <laughs> well, thank you very John, much. Thank dude. you, man. Yeah. And oh, saying you. that when we do, we uh, gotta keep, keep them dopes clean. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>